TGIM Timari. This is episode 317. Seek support from people who want to help you. Dig into yourself because there's this endless well of spirit and heart and capacity that we all have. We just have to tap into that. It's there. I promise you it's there. Everything that you need, you have. Life is always working in your favor. You can't heal in the same environment you became sick. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Odette Kressler. Thank you so much for joining us. On today's podcast, we've got Lunita. Lunita took her last drink on October 10th, 2020. She is from San Diego and she is also Latina, like myself. So I'm very excited for this interview. And before we get started, I want to tell you about today's sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a platform where you can receive therapy online. Mental health matters, and as we continue to live through this pandemic, it has become more and more evident that we need to have someone that can help us process all of our emotions and life stressors. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. BetterHelp provides a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas. The platform is super easy to navigate as you can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. I highly encourage you to check it out. So visit betterhelp.com forward slash elevator. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, and join over the 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. This podcast episode is sponsored by BetterHelp and Recovery Elevator listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com forward slash elevator. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, betterhelp.com forward slash elevator. Alrighty, let's work on finding your better you. So I'm not sure if this myth is the number one myth about sobriety, but I do dare to say that it's up there on the top three. The myth is... Sobriety is not fun. Sobriety is boring. This decision will remove the fun out of your life. You know, you get the memo. I hear variations from this time to time again. What I also hear, which is the bright side, is people debunking this myth. This brings me so much joy. You know, to see people go through this journey, not only to quit drinking, but also to find themselves, to come alive and to fully engage with life around them. I could personally debunk this myth by sharing how fun my life without alcohol is, but I'm choosing to do something a little different and I'm pulling out all of my stops. I'm going to spend the next couple of minutes talking about badass sober people that have seen their life unfold in the most amazing ways due to the decision of quitting drinking. When we are earlier on this journey, we think, who is even sober? What type of people are part of this way of being? Do I even belong here? Nah. I probably don't have to quit drinking, right? Sobriety is boring and I probably will be the only one doing this. We later come to find out that there are so many of us that are alcohol-free. Out there in our lives, out there in the world. People that look like you, people that you didn't even imagine. People that don't fit into the stereotype of an alcoholic. I mean, let's talk about Bradley Cooper for a second. Bradley Cooper has been sober since he was 29 years old. He now credits his successful career to his decision to ditch the booze. I'm sure his good looks are also a byproduct of sobriety, by the way. I mean, babe, I know you're listening, so I'm sorry, but dang, Bradley Cooper is muy guapo, which is very handsome in Spanish, by the way. Muy guapo. (laughs) Also, Brad Pitt credits his sobriety. Yes, Brad Pitt is also sober. Brad Pitt credits his sobriety to Bradley Cooper. How cool is that? Songwriter and singer Florence Welsh, in my opinion, does a wonderful job at showing how sobriety does not mean that you are doomed to boredom. I attended one of her concerts a couple of years ago. I was sober watching, she was sober performing, and we were both dancing full of joy and energy for the entire concert. Oh, and here's an interesting one. David Lloyd George, a British prime minister in the early 1900s. 
He was sober, and he spoke up publicly about this. He shared how his own journey actually informed his policymaking. He was a backer of the licensing bill, which curtailed hours bars could be open for. This also tells us that people have been talking about sobriety for decades. At some point of this introduction, of course, I had to mention Dax Shepard. Dax has one of the most popular podcasts out there in the podcast world right now. He claims that he wouldn't have anything that he has if it wasn't for his recovery. I mean, he interviews famous people for a living. Doctors, experts from all over the world, everyone is on his show now. If that isn't considered fun, then I don't know what is. Not to mention all of the cool sponsors that he gets to work with and gets free products from. How about Anthony Hopkins? He posted a social media post a few months ago sharing a big milestone. He hit 45 years sober and recalls his life has been amazing ever since giving up alcohol. He shared these words on the post and I had to quote him. He said, hang in there. Today is the tomorrow you were so worried about yesterday. Young people, don't give up. Just keep in there. How cool is that, guys? What about an athlete? Portuguese soccer player Cristiano Ronaldo is also on the alcohol-free team. His father passed from alcohol abuse, and this was a big motivator for him to not pick up the bottle. I mean, talk about changing the trajectory of his family and of his life. You've also got Al Pacino, Jamie Lee Curtis, Robert Downey Jr., Eminem, Chrissy Teigen, Keith Urban, Kelly Osborne, Ben Affleck, Jillian Jacobs, James Franco, John Travolta, Shakira, J-Lo, Stephen King, Eva Mendes, Tom Cruise, Natalie Portman, Elton John, Zac Efron, Tyra Banks, Harry Potter, I mean Daniel Radcliffe, Demi Lovato, Chris Martin from Coldplay, the list goes on, my friends. All of these people that I just mentioned are also on the sober team with all of us. We're not alone. We're not boring. Quite the contrary, actually. Sobriety is the gateway to authenticity. And when we are our most authentic selves, our lives change for the better. And for the funner. I know that's not even a word, but I don't care. Now that you know how many cool kids are in the alcohol-free club, how do you feel about joining us and staying in it with us? All right, team. Eso es todo. That's my intro for today. And before we hear from Lunita, let's hear from my favorite resource on this journey, Cafe Ari. For years, I tried to control my drinking on my own, but I always felt alone and like I needed something else. When I discovered Cafe Ari, I realized there were so many people just like me looking for a better life. Cafe Ari is a private, unsearchable Facebook group that provides 24-7 access to a community of people whose goal it is to live a life without alcohol. In Cafe RE, you'll find authentic connection, love, and encouragement. With the supportive and educational chats hosted throughout the week, there are plenty of opportunities to connect with others on the same path. Cafe RE is a place where we grow and learn together, and with golden rule number 22, we have a lot of fun while doing it. For just $24 a month, you'll have access to the community, all of our online chats, the opportunity to attend in-person meetups, get discounts on sober travel trips, and get assigned an accountability partner. 15% of monthly membership even goes towards our service project, where we partner with nonprofits to help those affected by addiction. Head over to recoveryelevator.com and use the promotional code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. Again, use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. We hope to see you there. Lunita, welcome. How are you today? Bien, I'm good. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I'm so happy you're here. And listeners, Lunita is a fellow Latina, Mexicana, like myself. So I'm especially grateful that we're doing this today. It's my first interview of the new year. And Lunita and I have been wanting to do this for a while. So thank you so much. I'm really happy that today got here. Me too. In perfect timing. Always perfect timing. There are no coincidences. We often talk about that. And let's get right to it, Lunita. Yes. When was the last time you had a drink? I hit reset for the last time on October 10th, 2020. Perfect. I want to hear more about for the last time and your other chapters of this journey. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But thank you, October 10th, 2020. And can you give listeners a little background? Can you let us know 
where you're originally from. Do you have a family? What do you like to do? What are your hobbies? And what do you like to do for fun as well? Yeah, I am a American-born bicultural single mama. I live in San Diego. I was born and raised here. My parents are both immigrants. My dad's from Panama. My mom's from Mexico. And I have two daughters. Their ages are nine and 11. They're wonderful, amazing, cosmic portals. <laughs> I always say that they're my little gurus, my little teachers. I'm a yoga teacher and healing arts practitioner. And lately, I've realized that what I like to do for fun is also what I do for work. <laughs> I love to practice yoga. I love to be in nature. I'm an herbalist. I make uh, custom flower essence for my clients. I'm very into plant medicine and healing through plants. So that's actually how I got sober. And yeah, I'm also a poet and writer. I like to paint. Pretty much anything having to do with the arts and the body, I'm about it. Oh, I love it. And I love that you mentioned how you realized that what you like doing is something that you do for work as well. It's, I think it's really neat to have those two things enmesh themselves. And it's, a, it's an honor that you get to do what you like and also get financial success from it. And it really makes me happy to hear that. And I know I've been following your journey for a while and you seem to just keep growing and growing and evolving and adding new layers and discovering new layers to yourself. So it's really nice to watch from the outside. Oh, thank you for that reflection. It's definitely been a journey and I agree the layers and layers keep coming off and I'm grateful for that. Awesome, Lunita. And can you let us know a little bit about your history with drinking? When did you start drinking? When did you realize alcohol wasn't serving your purpose? And when did you start analyzing this relationship that you had with alcohol? Tell me your story. Gosh, okay. I'll try to be as concise as possible. <laughs> um, I've been reflecting on this for the purpose of the interview and also for the purpose of my own healing and where I'm at with it now. And it really starts when I was about 14. I took my first drink around the age of 14, hanging out with my cousins in Mexico. As you know, in Mexico, the lines are a little more blurred as far as when you can buy uh, beer or wine. And I had older cousins and we were having a great time. And now that I look back on that, I can remember being around 14, you know, in the height of my teen angst and feeling this sense of calm and inner knowing through drinking that I didn't feel ever before. And now looking back on it, I've always been this super open, energetic being. Uh, even as a small child, I remember thinking about the stars and the moon and what happens before we're born and what happens after we die. And now I have the understanding that I was this highly sensitive child, this highly sensitive person with two very loving parents who did not know how to attune to me. So I was constantly trying to attune to the world and I couldn't. And so I was constantly uncomfortable. And so when I had that first drink, it was like this warm blanket and my nervous system felt soothed. And that is what hooked me. Now I see that. I didn't know that up until a year ago uh, through therapy and, and other deep work. And so I continued drinking through my teen years. I wouldn't say it was out of control then. Um, it was what I hate to say is typical, right, of a teenager. I still went to school. I wasn't putting myself in danger. I wasn't doing heavy drugs, but I was drinking regularly with my friends and partying and having a good time. And that sort of continued into my 20s. And into my 20s, you know, there were the occasional nights of blacking out. Or, or not remembering. But again, I dismissed it as like, well, I'm still going to work. I'm still going to school. Mm -hmm. It's, it's whatever. I mean, people drink. And I just really liked it. I really liked drinking because I went from this highly sensitive introvert to this, you know, comfortable, open, fun, drunk. And it was something I loved. It, it made my me more comfortable in social settings. It awakened the artistic part of me in some ways. And so I loved it. I had no desire to stop. I had no reason to stop. Uh, I didn't drink and drive. Like I said, I didn't put myself in dangerous situations, but I was drinking very often, a few times a week. And then uh, fast forward, I get pregnant, I get married, I have babies. I'm in a sort of difficult marriage. I have two young children. My ex-husband and I were 
very young, I mean, in our early, mid-20s, trying to navigate so many different things. And drinking became the way that I could hold it down in that life. So, uh, you know, mommy and me groups with wine at noon were okay. Or putting the girls to bed and then staying up with my husband, having cocktails and then going to bed. And then before I knew it, uh, the more stressed out I became because then I went back to work. So I was working full time, had two small children, had an emotionally unavailable husband. And it was a lot. You know, I was only like 26 years old and it was a lot. And so the drinking started every night. And so now I was drinking every night. And that's when I started to notice that this wasn't normal because my husband would make comments or my best friend would make comments. And again, I had no desire to stop. Then uh, my husband and I separated. That's when the dark ages began. That's when I was literally drowning and alcohol was sinking me. And it was just how I coped, how I dealt. It became a medication. For me, it was no longer like, oh, I'm having fun, I'm drinking. It was actually like, I have a chemical dependency. I can't imagine not stopping because I can't imagine feeling how I feel sober all the time. I just didn't want to feel that. And so I started to figure out ways to drink every day, be medicated every day, but still hold it together, still be there for my kids, still go to work, still wake up in the morning and do the thing I have to do. But underneath that, I was completely drowning. I was lost. I, I hated my life. I would wake up feeling like shit every single day. And I just felt so disconnected from myself, completely disconnected. And so this was around the age of 30. I'm now 34. So about four years ago. And a series of different moments of I got cornered by one of my cousins at a family party because she caught me like sneaking a drink from the liquor cabinet. I got cornered by my best friend in a blackout because she was like, what are you doing with your life? So there was all these little moments where I knew I wasn't okay. And I also woke up feeling terrible and knowing I wasn't okay, but I couldn't stop. Can I ask yeah. you, you yeah. said that even before your separation, you were starting to get comments even from your ex-husband. So how did you notice yourself responding when this would get addressed by other people? What did you feel? Did you get defensive? Did you did you deny it? What was going through your mind when people were starting to make these comments? I was still trying to tell myself that it was okay. Mm -hmm. And I would either get defensive or I would simply find a way to sort of appease it, you know, oh, well, it's just, it's just, um, you know, my cocktail is, is how I get through it. Or, you know, those, those ridiculous slogans that society gives us, right? Like, oh, you know, it's, it's mommy's happy hour or it's happy hour somewhere that all that bullshit that is so dangerous. And so I would use these things and look around and be like, well, it's okay. I'm still holding down a job. I'm still tending to my kids. I'm still cleaning the house. Like I look presentable. I am presentable. What's the problem? Totally. And there were enough sources out there to validate your response. Because like you're saying, especially once you had the kids and the girls, there are so many messages out there supporting the way you were behaving that it almost felt easy probably to make your case and, and defend what you were doing. Yes. Absolutely. And I think a, a way that I did feel an interruption, like a dissonance within me at that time, was because I was very into fitness and health. And so I was here eating clean, working out, you know, practicing yoga, and, and then like drinking every night. And, and so I did feel like, oh, if I could only stop drinking, or if I only didn't do that, then I would be much in a much better place. But I don't want to. So it was almost like, all the green smoothies and all the yoga and all the running was the way that I would sort of blanket the fact that I had an alcohol problem. And I'm glad you're bringing this up because a lot of the definitions of wellness currently still incorporate moderate drinking as something that can be part of wellness, right? You, you, you see articles on mm -hmm. magazines, online, companies that their mission is about well-being, yet they still enable drinking. So it's not only it's <laughs> what I'm trying to say is it's normal for you to 
still do all the good things for yourself and still want to keep drinking because uh, for a lot of people that is actually wellness and and it's something that it's slowly being debunked right. that no amount mm-hmm. of alcohol should be part of the definition of wellness because no amount of alcohol is going to help you optimize your mind or your body or your soul or your spirit however there are these narratives of now clean wine or yoga and wine mm-hmm. or uh, oh running club where you stop and you have a beer and then you keep running for another 10 miles. So it doesn't really matter. No. You know, and it's, it's crazy. Oh, yeah. I can see it so clearly now, but I was also in a very similar place as you were where it was, it was permitted not only in the mom world, but it was also permitted and almost applauded if you could also be a very fit and healthy person and also new how to manage alcohol, right? Right. Yep. What started shifting something in you? You said you were around four years ago, something shifted? Yeah, I, I it was starting to get to the point where I, um, well, you know, uh, here's the thing too, is that because of this fitness and maybe a vanity for the fitness and this need to keep it together on the outside, I was drinking liquor, not beer or wine at a certain point. Why? Because I could drink less and get drunker. Mm-hmm. It was a quicker effect, less calories. I mean, it's so it's hard for me to say this, honestly, but I'm just being honest. And so what happened is that because I was having just kind of like straight whiskey, you know, every night, I started to have issues in my body. Thank God it. I'm grateful that my body is so intelligent that it didn't take long for me to start to feel issues with my belly. I didn't have an appetite. I was losing weight. I was, the hangovers were getting worse instead of easier. My body started to say, I can't do this anymore. And so when I would drink, it was no longer fun. It didn't feel good. I, I wasn't getting that elation. I was instead getting into this darkness, this grimy, slimy, sludgy, part of myself. And so I started to hit these rock bottom moments where I was in this really toxic relationship. Or I remember this moment where I went to work and I had a pretty important job working for a pretty well-known fashion house. And I, one of my friends uh, from work literally said, he's like, you smell like booze mm. at work. And these things were really gnarly, you know? And I knew it was like screaming in my face. Like, the, the demon, the monster of alcohol was right next to me, breathing on me. And I was no longer in denial that there was a problem. I just didn't know, didn't, couldn't see my way out of it. And so around four years ago, a little bit after about six months after my 30th birthday, one of my good friends, who's still, you know, an angel in my life, she said to me, you've got to do something. You've got to do something. And, and I slowly started my recovery. And I was sober for two years. And then yeah, I don't know if you want me to get into like all my different resets over the past four years, but through plants, through meditation, through ceremony, through just being so fed up, like that whole sick and tired of being sick and tired. I just, it was either I die or I get sober. I mean, that's how bad it got. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that, Lunita. And I, and I do want to get a little bit more into what you were just saying. I wish we could talk for hours, but I want to talk about if you did things differently with each attempt, you and I share that where I, it, it's taken me multiple chapters to get here. And I have often talked about this on previous episodes, how I think everything is part of the journey, even the moments when we are maybe back out drinking, everything is part of the same journey. You can't become less aware of what you've already learned. You can't unknow yourself the way that you now know yourself. Mm-hmm. So everything complements and builds off of each time. And I guess my question is, do you found any reasons why you would drink again? And then have you tried new tools along the way? Yes, absolutely. Um, that's really alive for me in this moment. So with the help of community and healing and yoga and meditation and plants, I was able to get to a point where I could release alcohol from my life and had a strict sobriety of, like I said, about two years. And then I slowly, I felt so good. And so that chapter of darkness felt so far away from me. And I felt so alive and vital and fresh and aware that, you know, I didn't start drinking whiskey again, but I felt like, oh, I can have this nice glass of wine or I can have this beer. And for a while it was 
quote unquote, and I really want to emphasize the quote, it was healthy drinking. And I, you know, was able to introduce it into my life in a way where I wasn't getting drunk. I wasn't blacking out. I wasn't in these horrible situations. I wasn't previously, but it wasn't serving me. There was this gradual backsliding and not only my way of feeling the people I attracted to my life, but also my work. Like I said, my work and my life are entwined. And so how can I be offering and sharing when I'm still sort of dipping my toe in an old wound and an old habit? And so I would let myself have these cocktails once in a while. And then I went through this really terrible heartbreak uh, the summer before last summer. So the summer of 2019. And after that, I did go into this small period of the darkness where I was drinking again. I was, you know, teaching yoga, but like going out and, and partying and feeling like shit. I was like, this is so out of alignment. And so I let let it go. It was a short lived period, but I let it go again. And another, you know, six months sober. And then again, oh, here's a hard kombucha. Oh, here's a beer. No big deal. I'm fine right now. So I can handle it. And what really shifted when I hit reset in October is that instead of telling myself, I can't drink, I'm an alcoholic, or I can't drink, alcohol doesn't agree with me. Like, I can't mean it's a limitation of me. I can't handle it. Other people can handle it. I can't, so I won't. Now, when I hit reset, I was in such a good place. I wasn't drinking a lot. I was having the occasional hard kombucha at the beach or whatever. But I said one day, you know what? It's not that I can't. It's that I choose not to. I am not choosing anything that does not serve me. And that starts with booze. And that was a paradigm shift. This this patch of sobriety, these 88 or so days I have right now, have been so different. Because it's not that I can't. It's that I'm choosing from the highest, most radical self-loving place. I'm choosing that I don't want anything that does not serve me. And that does not serve me. Not one bit. Lunita, so many people need to hear this. It's not that we can't. Many of people can't, whatever. But when you choose to Mm -hmm. tell yourself that you are choosing not to add anything to your life that is going to not any value to it, then it's empowering instead of limiting, which is exactly what you just said. It Mm -hmm. should feel like an empowerment. It should feel like Mm -hmm. a decision that you made so that you can be led and guided and walked into the best Mm -hmm. version of yourself. And I love a a, a few parts in Holly Whitaker's book about quitting drinking where she talks about, I've mentioned this before, so I may sound like a broken record, but you can't celebrate with drinking because drinking takes away from you. So how can you mm-hmm. celebrate a, a, a work win, a the fact that you had a kid, a, a birthday party of your kid, a, a work promotion? How can you celebrate and then you're using poison to celebrate? It doesn't make sense, right? Because you are taking away as soon as your life starts expanding. It's like you choose to shrink it and you choose to do it by drinking. So when you stop doing that, you are offering more space for that expansion. And although there may be people who moderately drink and are able to grow their life and not everyone has a dysfunctional relationship with booze, I I can almost guarantee that if as a society we dropped it, the level and the rate at which we could expand collectively would just be so exponential to everyone, whether or not they consider themselves an alcoholic, right? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. And and a big part of my work is activism and intersectional wellness. And when I look at the demographics and the people, the communities that are obliterated and harmed throughout history through booze, that just pumps the fire in me even more because it's a privilege to be able to have a functional relationship to alcohol. That's privileged. I mean, to be able to do that, there must be a lot of other aspects of that person's life that are in favor of them, if that makes sense. And so there's also the radical, like, social justice warrior in me that's like, as booze for all the other people, not just for myself. Totally, because you see the collective 
damage that it does, right? Absolutely. And I, I, yes. yeah, it, it, and it's real. So, I, mm-hmm. I'm just really happy to know you because I can, I can feel this calling <laughs> through you, and it helps. You know, I hadn't done one of these interviews in a few months because I have a handful already ready and pre-recorded and and good to go. And and our minds are tricky. I just hit two years and I do from time to time get those thoughts of I'm doing great. I I could totally have a drink. Mm. And I forget sometimes Mm -hmm. not only that it would be a slow descent again, but also that it's not a part of what I want to fight for when it comes to, like you said, fighting for what you believe in, in terms of more of an activist role. It just doesn't fit in with that, not just with my personal journey, but with many other bigger things, bigger than myself. And it sounds like that also fuels you. So thanks for sharing that. Yes, it, it really does. To see it just, I mean, it, my, my girls got me sober, right? If, if I hadn't had them, I don't know how much longer I would have continued the trajectory I was on. But now that I'm sober, it's them, but then it's also the collective and the work I'm offering the world and what I feel is being asked of me. I resonate with what you said. Tell me a little bit more about what you said on this time feeling so different. Outside of you shifting that mindset, the same struggles happen. You know, we have the same obstacles in life. We are human. How different do you deal with the discomfort, for example, of just sitting with your feelings or obstacles that are all of a sudden in your day to day? How do you deal with cravings or discomfort? That's a really great question. I I would say that kind of sort of separate them. I deal with the discomfort through my, I know that you're a big proponent of therapy, so am I. And I'm not ashamed to say that I'm a wellness practitioner and a yoga teacher, meditation teacher, uh, that is in therapy. I actually have more trust for folks in this work who are in therapy, because as you said, I'm human. I'm in a human experience. So as I'm helping others, I'm over here doing my own work and facing my stuff. And so the therapist has been incredibly important. Accountability through community. I mean, someone like you has been a huge source of inspiration support as I've shared with you before this podcast having a sober partner I mean my partner has been a huge huge support in this Mm. I mean he's not a drinker he's never been a drinker and when I hit reset I shared that with him and ever since then he hasn't had a single drinker on me not even a card kombucha nothing and he didn't say like oh I'm gonna do this for you or anything he just does it in the most graceful way like oh I don't need it I'm fine he doesn't make it about me and that's so powerful you know it's so subtle and so powerful and a lot of my community is sober or very uh supportive of sobriety or in their own sober path so community is huge sitting with things is huge my uh, my fitness and and yoga practice is pivotal I always joke that my drug is the the stove that comes from a run or a yoga practice or pranayama breath work. So all these tools, right? And herbs, I use a lot of uh, herbs and plants that help my nervous system feel good. Because for me, I learned that my nervous system regulation is what made me want to drink. So now I regulate in ways that are healthy and sustainable. And I cure cravings in the way that a lot of other fellow uh, folks in recovery do. I drink embarrassing amounts of Pellegrino. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love Pellegrino in a glass bottle. It has to be that way. I love teas. I love making different elixirs and concoctions with herbs and milks and spices and just, you know, reverting to a way of, of offering to myself versus sabotaging myself. There's so many different ways. There's such a complex uh, answer to that question. No, I love it. And you are being of service to yourself, right? It comes back to that paradigm shift of when we're drinking, we're, it's an act of disservice, in my opinion. And, and you shifted that to where you're honoring yourself and, and having fun along the way and moving your body. And it feels so good when we learn to take care of ourselves. But a lot of the times 
we have to even learn what that means. We don't know how to take care of ourselves, yes. which is why I, I often tell people, you know, if you're going out there and drinking again and having to start again and going through day one cycles or chapters, it's fine. You are getting to know yourself along the way. And that doesn't just come with the decision. You know, I don't want to drink anymore. You don't automatically get a manual of of yourself. You learn that through new interactions, new experiences, and all of that takes time. So a lot of patience, a lot of grace towards yourself. I wanted to go back to something you said at the beginning that you said you are such a sensitive person. I know you're an empath and I know you are asking yourself questions that a lot of people don't ask themselves on the day-to-day basis, like about the stars and our existence and It's so beautiful. I do think we need more humans like that. But like you said, back when you were a little girl, it almost feels like you don't fit in. How has the acceptance of your true essence shifted in terms Mm. of instead of feeling now like you have to fit in, you can just sit with who you are and know that you are that way for a reason, even though sometimes it may feel different than the room you're in. How do you kind of leverage that part of yourself for good instead of for questioning yourself or wanting to morph into someone that you're not? Gosh, that's such a beautiful question. I think that's one of the most profound questions I've ever been asked. Thank you for that. I, I, it's been a journey, you know, I, I'm 34 and I would say it's taken all 34 years to get here. And it's taken this really stubborn need to excavate the distortions I've been fed from society, from toxic family structures, my own, my own alone lies that I tell myself. And it's it's taken time and it's taken just that need to understand myself to accept that I am not like anyone else and I'm not meant to be mm-hmm. and allowing that to be medicine and allowing that to be beautiful because I'm not I mean it's hard to look to someone else for guidance because there aren't many like me and not to say I'm special I'm not special because everyone's special right mm-hmm. uh, so this is definitely not to say I'm special but I, I guess it could say I could say that I'm strange or not typical. And so a big part of my reclamation of myself came from letting myself be in recovery and letting myself be sober. There was a while when I was in that two-year sobriety that I bypassed why I was an alcoholic in the first place. And I sort of, I didn't want to talk about sobriety. I didn't care about it on social media. I wasn't open about it because there was still shame that I was a mother who was an alcoholic or that I was weak because I was an alcoholic or that why would someone trust me to be their intuitive guide or yoga teacher who's an alcoholic? Like, how how does that, so I would judge myself. And um, what I realized is that some of the most radical, authentic, artistic, creative beings are in recovery. I mean, some of the coolest people I know and look up to have battled addiction to drugs or alcohol, have had eating disorders, because it goes to the same thing. This world, the society doesn't cater to our differences. It wants us to mold into the same thing. And when we can't, we turn to other places to escape. And a lot of times those escapes don't benefit us. And so... I, I would say to answer your question more simply, I, I just I just needed to do that. Mm-hmm. I needed to excavate for myself so that I could be well. I had to take up space for myself. I had to rebel for myself and work for myself. And not only for myself, but for my daughters. I have two daughters and, you know, female bodies in this patriarchal society. So I owe it to them to heal so that they can have a different path to choose if they want it, right? They, they, they can have an example that I didn't have. And, and so there's all these different elements that are feeling that fire to grow, to heal, to learn. I hope that answers your question. It does. Thank you. It's, it's acceptance. You know, if I could summarize your answer, acceptance versus resistance. Mm-hmm. The more we resist ourselves, 
were just creating friction. I, I was someone who thought I could take recovery shortcuts, right? And and similar to what you said, I, I, I'm not going to deal with that, but I can deal with this. And I would selectively choose kind of what I wanted to deal with according probably to how much shame I was feeling around that thing. And I, I very recently discovered mm -hmm. probably in the last year that everything that I wanted to cross out or everything that I was fearing about myself, shameful about myself, all of that has a, the other side of it. All of that it was withholding something for me that I needed in order to mm -hmm. not only recover, but also embody who I am. But it, it's such tough work. And I do feel like this type of realization about internal character flaws and blockages and settling into our true confidence comes a little bit later on this journey. You know, initially, we're so busy mm -hmm. with how to even stay sober, how to even say no to a drink, how to how to do a sober birthday when you don't even remember the last time you had a sober birthday. And I, I think it's actually kind of nice that we're busy with those human interactions, because then what you have to face later It gets a little bit scarier, but I also think we're stronger for it and we're better armed for it. And it's just a, a part of the journey. And, and, and I love that you are owning it and you are building that confidence and that self-love in yourself because it'll just come back tenfold and, and you can feel it now. Yes, absolutely. I, I love what you said of, you know, I agree. Everything I hid from has so much treasure for me. And that's been really juicy to uncover, for sure. Near the beginning, when you said you were starting to try to incorporate alcohol after the two-year lapse that you had of no drinking at all, you said you were like, oh, maybe I can have this glass of wine or this nice beer, and that you noticed that not only was it affecting your work and you felt like you weren't being your true self at work because of it, but you also said something about relationships and the types of people that you are attracting. So tell me a little mm. bit more about <laughs> relationships, because this is something huge that we get so many questions on and just not enough people talking about how it affects current relationships. It affects new relationships that are coming. Um, so can you just tell me how relationships have shifted for you over the years? Oh, gosh, so, so much, you know, and, and it's just, you know, quantum physics, energetic truth that our vibe attracts a certain person, right, who's also on that same wavelength. Like, if you imagine that everyone's surfing a different wave, and depending on the wave we're surfing, that's, those are the surfers with us, right, or the surfers who come toward us. And so... I've been separated from my ex-husband about five years. So in those five years, I dated and met people and also just in community met people. And I kept attracting this specific type of man that also had his own demons. Uh, I don't really like using that word, but for now we'll use it. And I was attracting relationships where these people were kind of looking for healing or they were looking for medicine or heart, you know, because I'm such a heart open person. And I, I would just kind of bring them into me, I would let them in. And it wasn't serving me because they weren't bringing something back to the table. And so I find myself, you know, be sober and then meet a cute guy. And then we go on a few dates. And then I'm like, okay, I'll have a beer with you to connect and, you know, things like that. And I, I wasn't attracting the person like I have right now, who's like, gracefully not drinking, because I'm not drinking. Mm -hmm. It's like, polar opposite. And so the more true I am to myself, the more I'm serving myself, the highest self, not the ego self or the wounded self. I, I'm attracting partners and work opportunities and friendships that are also riding that way, who are also wanting the same thing for me. So they're not just coming to the table to take, they're coming to the table with a full basket And saying, this is what I got, what you got, let's share, let's, let, you know, let's have a potluck of mm. gifts and, and offerings. And so that's the huge, huge thing. If we're, if we're in our pain body and we're operating at a habit and we're not honoring ourselves, how can we expect to attract or, or cultivate anything with anyone else that is helpful and worthy? It's, it's not possible. It just doesn't work like that. I kept dating the same version of a person 
that I was, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that he kept teaching me the same lesson, go back to yourself, go back to yourself. And, you know, I was celibate for a while. I didn't date for a while. And that's, that's when I really learned about myself. If, if someone's out there who keeps dating toxic people, it's because you yourself are so toxic mm-hmm. to yourself. So you've got to stop. <laughs> and I would really recommend not dating, not having sex and just being with yourself because you'll learn a lot. I, I would say that's probably what I learned the most is this year I took to just be with me. And I, you can't trade that experience for anything. You can't get that with someone else. And then after that, I began to attract beautiful, amazing, heart-centered people toward me naturally without trying. They just came forward. It's just how it works. I don't know why, but it does. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Cause it is, I knew I could ask you that question because it is, it is hard. Once again, going back to even the last question, it is hard to accept that a lot of the things that we are upset about in somebody else are something that we need to work on ourselves. Like you said, the level of toxicity you see in somebody else is probably matching of your own. And Nobody wants to admit that. And it takes a lot of courage to admit that. So it is a total advantage to befriend yourself and get to know yourself and have the strength because we do all have it to face those things that we want to make better about ourselves. Nobody's perfect. I think that this journey never, never ends. But I think it's important to have those blind spots pointed out to us by the right people often so that instead of it being like a cycle of the same lesson, like you're saying, we're moving from lesson to lesson instead of just stuck on the same thing. Absolutely. Yep. I agree. Lunita, we've reached to the rapid fire round. If you can answer these questions in 30 seconds or less, that would be fabuloso. Are you ready? I'm ready. What are you excited about right now? I'm excited about being completely myself, for better or worse. I am me. I show up as myself in every relationship, in every moment. And that's really refreshing. It's a relief. It's a relief to not have to be anything other than myself. Beautiful. What would you say to your younger self? Hmm. Your weirdness is magic. You don't have to try to be cool. You're already the coolest. Just do you and and you'll be so much happier. I love it. And it's true. What is your favorite ice cream flavor, Lunita? Oh, my gosh. Um, I would have to say the naughtiest of naughty would be chocolate chip cookie dough with big chunks of cookie dough. What parting piece of guidance can you give to all listeners who are thinking about ditching the booze? You are so much more brave and capable than you think. If I could do it, you can do it. Seek support from people who want to help you. Dig into yourself because there's this endless well of spirit and heart and capacity that we all have. We just have to tap into that. It's there. I promise you it's there. Everything that you need, you have. There's nothing that anyone can give you that you don't have for yourself already. And before we depart, Lunita, give listeners your own. You may have to say adios to booze if line. If you're hiding bottles. Yeah, if you're sneaking, if you're playing hide and seek again. For sure. That's a big, big sign that something's very wrong, for sure. Lunita, thank you so much for your time. I really, really appreciate you. Thanks for being on the show. This is going to help so many people. I can't wait to air it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Take care. I'll talk to you soon. Very well, Team RE. That's a wrap. And before I say adios, I want to give you a little challenge. Head on over to Google, open up a browser, and search for sober people in your interest bubbles. Maybe sober photographers, if that's what you're into, sober artists, sober authors, sober moms. We are all out here. You just have to look closer. Before I let you go, I want to remind you that registration for our upcoming Ditch the Booze course is open today. This is a course for Cafe Airing members only, and it's a course that is focused on connection. It's a six-week online course, and this is all held online every Tuesday via Zoom. If you have any questions, head over to recoveryelevator.com forward slash Cafe for details on registration. 
Uh, I'm going to be teaching one of the sessions and I can't wait to see some of you there. We've had great results from previous course attendees. And if you just need that extra help to gain momentum during early sobriety, this course is for you. Denzel Washington, who is also sober, I just hadn't mentioned him in the intro yet, has a quote that I love, and this quote really stuck to me when I was dipping my toes into this alcohol-free life. The quote says, I made a commitment to completely cut out drinking and anything that might hamper me from getting my mind and body together. And the floodgates of goodness have opened upon me, spiritually, emotionally, and financially. How cool is that? The best is yet to come, Timari. Remember that you're not alone and together is always better. Recovery Elevator, welcome to the Sober Club. I promise it's going to be fun. I love you guys. Get out of the story. Get out of the story and use the mind to locate the body. Move the energy inside by talking, walking, and most importantly, trusting that the body already knows how to do so. We cannot fight a drinking problem or an addiction because it's trying to tell us something and we must listen. It's nudging us in a certain direction. Listen to the heart and follow your gut intuition. This will never mislead you. thinking.